in the, in the 1980s, I was growing up in the city of Indianapolis, and we had this uh, football team that came in the middle of the night to our city. And many people have heard the story about the Baltimore Colts leaving in the middle of the night and packing up and moving to Indianapolis. Well, I was on the beneficiary end of that, if that's a word. <laughs> I, I, was, I received a, a, a football team when I was a kid. And I, when I, in 1983 and 84, I was too young to know about football. Uh, but about the 86, 87, I really started getting into it. And, and you know, while many of you Bears fans were enjoying the Super Bowl shuffle with Jim McMahon and Walter Payton and, and the whole, you know, Refrigerator Perry and all the, 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 the great Chicago Bears, I, I'm there in Indianapolis not even getting to watch many games because they couldn't even sell out the stadium, and so they were blacked out. I was listening to, on the radio every week. Or, you know, and it, I was happy when it was a away game because I got to watch the game. Uh, but, you know, the, I had to suffer through the Jack Trudeau quarterback, uh, the, the, the Gary Hogaboom quarterbacks, uh, um, the Chris Chandler. I mean, if any of you know who those people are, it's because you know a lot about football or I don't know. But, I mean, or I guess Jack Trudeau did to go to... Illinois, so you might rem remember him from the University of Illinois. But, I mean, we had to go through some really bad quarterbacks in the early 90s. Sorry, in the, in the late 80s. And, and so then, I was so excited because in 1990, the, and we had the, the, the draft in, in April of 1990, the, the Colts traded to get the first pick in the draft. And I was thinking, just like most other Colts fans, finally we're going to get a good quarterback. We're going to get the quarterback. My hope was in the quarterback that they picked. And as some of you guys know, the quarterback that they picked was a quarterback from the University of Illinois. And his name was Jeff George. Now, I know now it's kind of silly to put our hope in a quarterback, especially <laughs> Jeff George. But when I was a kid... When I was nine, I was so excited that Jeff George was going to be our quarterback. All of April, May, June, and July, August, I was so excited because Jeff George was going to be the quarterback that was going to turn around the Colts. I put my hope in Jeff George. I know that's a very foolish statement, but I did. I was nine. I put my hope in Jeff George. And then that first game in September of 1990, when the Buffalo Bills flattened the Colts, Jeff George's welcome to the NFL game, my hope was starting to be dashed, be faded. Why was I putting my hope in Jeff George? And as we found out later, he didn't last long in the Colts. He, didn't, he jumped around from team to team, and he was never a reason to put any fans hope in. He did lead the NFL in passing yards one year uh, with less than 4,000, which that's a different time. But anyways, he, he, he really wasn't that good. And if you think about it, the Colts in that draft, they had the first pick in the draft, and they had a chance to get one of the Hall of Fame players. They could have got Emmett Smith, the best, well, the most rushing yards in NFL history. Emmett Smith on the Cowboys. They could have got 
Junior Seau. They could have got some other guys, but they chose Jeff George, and, and their hope was in Jeff George. And unfortunately for them and me, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't good to put your hope in a person. But today we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 3, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4, about how we put our hope in a person that is God. And that is way different than putting our hope in a person that is a quarterback or a good, even if they're a good quarterback, like Peyton Manning later on or whoever it is. Putting our hope in a person is not a good idea unless that person is Jesus Christ, our God. So to explain a little bit more about hope, uh, there, there's a Bible project video that kind of explains uh, for four minutes explains what is the biblical background of these words that mean hope in through the Old Testament and New Testament, what it means in, in Hebrew and then in Greek. Uh, it kind of goes through it quickly, but just uh, go ahead and watch this and then we will, uh, I'll kind of give a little bit of a summary and then we'll go through it from there. So go ahead. So let's say you want to describe the feeling of anticipating a future that's better than the present. You might be giddy or excited or maybe unsure, but most of us know that experience. We call it hope. It's a state of anticipation and it's crucial for healthy human existence. And it's a really important concept in the Bible. In fact, there are many words for hope in the ancient languages of the Bible and they're all fascinating. In the Old Testament, there are two main Hebrew words translated as hope. The first is yachal, simply to wait for. Like in the story of Noah and the ark, as the floodwaters recede, Noah had to yachal or weep. The other Hebrew word is kava, which also means to wait. It's related to the Hebrew word kav, which means cord. When you pull a kav tight, you produce a state of tension until there's relief. That's kava, the feeling of tension and expectation while you wait for something to happen. The prophet Isaiah depicts God as a farmer who plants vines and kavahs for good grapes. Or the prophet Micah talks about farmers who both kavah and yachal for morning dew to give moisture to the land. So in biblical Hebrew, hope is about waiting or expectation. But waiting for what? In the period of Israel's prophets, as the nation was sinking into self-destruction, Isaiah said, at this moment, the Lord's hiding his face from Israel, so I will kavah for him. The only hope Isaiah had in those dark days was the hope for God himself. You find this same notion of hope all over the book of Psalms where these words appear over 40 times. In almost every case, what people are waiting for is God. Like in Psalm 130, the poet cries out from a pit of despair, I kavah for the Lord, let Israel yachal for the Lord because he's loyal and will redeem Israel from its sins. Biblical hope is based on a person, which makes it different from optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. But biblical hope is not focused on circumstances. In fact, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there's no evidence things will get better but you choose hope anyway. Like the prophet Hosea, he lived in a dark time when Israel was being oppressed by foreign empires and he chose hope when he said God could turn this valley of trouble into a door of hope, like the day when Israel came up from the land of Egypt. God had surprised his people with redemption back in the days of the Exodus and he could do so again. So it's God's past faithfulness that motivates hope for the future. You look forward by looking backward, trusting in nothing other than God's character. It's like the poet of Psalm 39 who says, And now, O Lord, what else can I kavah for? You are my yachal. In the New Testament, the earliest followers of Jesus cultivated the similar habit of hope. 
They believe that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's surprising response to our slavery to evil and death. The empty tomb opened up a new door of hope, and they use the Greek word elpis to describe this anticipation. The Apostle Peter said that Jesus' resurrection opened up a living hope, that people can be reborn, to become new and different kinds of humans. More than once, the Apostle Paul says the good news about Jesus announces the elpis of glory. In both cases, this elpis is based on a person, the risen Jesus, who has overcome death. And this hope wasn't just for humans. The Apostles believed that what happened to Jesus in the resurrection was a foretaste of what God had planned for the whole universe. In Paul's words, it's a hope that creation itself will be liberated from slavery to corruption into freedom when God's children are glorified. So Christian hope is bold, waiting for humanity and the whole universe to be rescued from evil and death. And some would say it's crazy, and maybe it is. But biblical hope isn't optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait for God to bring about a future that's as surprising as a crucified man rising from the dead. Christian hope looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And so we wait. That's what the biblical words for hope are all about. All right, do we have all that? <laughs> there was a lot packed in there, I know. I, I thought about splitting that up into a few parts. But there, yeah, there was a lot to, to gather from that. But we see the idea of, of this biblical hope is this idea of waiting, okay? And, and it's not waiting, like optimistically waiting, like optimistically I'm waiting for the, you know, I was waiting for the Colts to get a good quarterback. Optimistically, no. It's, it's having hope that's sure and steady, that is in a firm foundation of Jesus Christ. And, and hope that looks back to the risen Jesus in order to look forward. And, and, and there, in this hope, uh, it's, it's also about having this tense expectation. Like this hope that's going to, what, what presents you're going to get under the tree? What, what's, what, you know, when you're a kid, what's, what's going what's gonna to happen? Something exciting is going to happen. And so we wait for Jesus. All right, so we're going to be in verse Peter, in just the first chapter, just a couple verses here. So I encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter and chapter 1. And in chapter 1, we're going to be here in verses 3 and 4 this morning. And we're looking at what are we putting our hope in? So in 1 Peter, this is a, a letter from Peter, and he's, he's one of the apostles, and he's writing to different churches, the Christian churches. And, and so here he says, in 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here, in this verse, we, we see that Peter is, is telling, he's explaining this to Christians. And just in case they don't, we, we don't understand or they don't understand, because this is, this is to us too, even if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, this is for us to understand, okay? That when you give your life to Jesus, he, he's offering us, we talked about this last week, that God rescued us and he, he gives us his salvation, but not everyone is going to choose to believe. And we said, 
the, the God, last week we said the God who rescues offers salvation to all who believe. But not everyone chooses to accept that free gift of salvation. But God did give in, in his great mercy back in, in verse 3 here. He said in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. So this, this new birth that Jesus offers us is this sure foundation, this resurrection from Jesus, from the dead. If we put our faith in Jesus and then Jesus dies and stays dead, then we don't have a faith. We have a faith in a dead person. But Jesus rose victoriously from the dead. And so our first point today is that Jesus, our living hope, is sure. He is sure. We don't have to worry and is Jesus alive? Is he dead? No, we know our hope is in Jesus, and that is something that we are sure about. Not just hopeful, but someday Jesus is going to return. Not just, not just thinking that maybe, maybe, maybe. No, but in our eyes of hope, our eyes of hopeful, and what biblical hope is, are a little different because a hope in Jesus is sure. It's that we don't have to think it might not happen. It is going to happen. If, if God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Now, the timing of it doesn't always make sense in our mind. Sometimes, you know, like the disciples thought that Jesus was going to return, uh, return for a second time, like in their lifetimes, and that hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting for that, but we can be sure that our hope is in Jesus. He is our living hope because he's ro- risen from the dead, and someday he is going to return victoriously and make all things new and so we have our hope in jesus and that is sure and then the next verse in first peter three we're just gonna read the first part of it it says so he, he continues by saying and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade now think about this for a second this inheritance that, that peter is writing about He's saying that we have this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and this living hope is now in this inheritance that can never go away. It can never die. It can never never spoil or fade. Nothing that we do or somebody else can do can ever take away this inheritance from from Jesus. It's not going to go away. Um, and, and so we have this inheritance in Jesus, just like when someone has an inheritance, they're going to get this blessing. They're going to, whenever, whenever the time comes, they're going to have this enormous blessing, just like we saw Jacob in, in our last sermon series. He was going to get this enormous blessing, and he stole this birthright and all that. But inheritance in Jesus, it's never going to go away. And so our second point is that Jesus, our living hope, is steady. We know, we can be sure about Jesus, our living hope, and now we can, be, we can know that he is steady, that it's not gonna, our inheritance is not going to go away. It doesn't matter. You know, Peter says here, if it, it can't be perishing, it can't be spoiling, it can't be fading. I mean, Jesus talks about don't store up treasures on earth where, where moth and, and 
rust and things destroy your treasures, but store up your treasures in heaven where it's going to be, it, it's, it's going to be there and it's not going to perish. And so Jesus is our steady hope. And then this, this third part of, of this verse, or the second part of verse 4 says, and this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And it's just a simple statement that Jesus, this inheritance that Jesus is giving, this inheritance that we have in Christ for those who believe, that it's going to be in heaven. It's kept in heaven. Now, when I look at this word kept, I think about how it is secure. You know, Peter is saying it's not going to perish, it's not going to fade, it's not going to spoil. It's going to be safe for you. It's going to be secure. And that's our third point today, is that Jesus, our living hope, is secure. We don't have to worry about what's going to happen. We don't have to worry about when or if. We don't have to worry about anything because we have our hope. Our hope is in Him, in the person of Jesus. And it is Jesus is sure, He is steady, and He is secure. Unlike Jeff George or anybody else, any other person we'd put our hope in, they're, they're not going to be, we're not going to be having our hope sure in them, maybe for a little bit. They're not going to be steady. I mean, maybe, again, for a little bit, but definitely not going to be secure in, in a person other than Jesus Christ, keeping our hope in Him alone. In Isaiah 9, verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land deep of darkness, on them light has shone. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the one that we celebrate as we come into this Advent season. Jesus is the only one that we can really put our full hope in, our waiting, our tense expectation, like it said there in the video. And our main idea today is that our expectation, our expectation and waiting is in Jesus, who is our living hope. So that expectation, that, that tense expectation they were talking about in the video, and then our waiting, all of it is in Jesus. And when our hope is in Jesus, when we're waiting for Jesus, who is our living hope, we don't have to worry about when or if or how it's going to happen. We just can rest with his peace, knowing that he is our hope. And what he says is going to happen. And I, I love how this song, Living Hope, goes. Because it, it, it talks about how there's this chasm between us and God. And we can't do anything to get to God. And, and when we speak God's name, in the, even though it's in the darkness, God's loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul, and the work is finished. The end is written. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, it says. And so we are going to we're going to sing this song together in just a moment. But let, let me pray first. 
God, we pray that today we would have our hope securely in you, that we would be sure of the hope that's in you, and that our hope is also steady and secure. And thank you, Jesus, that whatever happens, whatever the circumstances in our life, that we can trust you, our living hope. And God, I pray if there's, there's people that aren't sure that you are the living hope, that you are safe or that you are secure or you're steady, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to each person here that's watching, that's listening. God, we just pray that your presence would be clear and would be felt today. And God, you'd be drawing each of us more to you and that we could have our hope in you alone. Especially as we come into this Christmas season and we celebrating how you came to be with us. And so Jesus, we, we thank you. We praise you. You are good. You are faithful. And God, we ask that you would just continue to show us how we can have our hopeful expectation fully in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.